All right, we're going live for a new episode of the Electric Podcast. I am Fred Lambert, your host, and as usual, I'm with Seth Wintraub. How are you doing today, Seth? I'm good. All right, let me um, shut down my notification for a second so we can focus on this episode of the Electric Podcast because we have plenty to talk about this week. And unsurprisingly, we're going to talk a little bit about the, the big story of the week that uh, dominated Tesla news. I know not everyone wants to talk about that. I understand. I'm tired of talking about it. I've been following me on Twitter this week. I've been um, commenting a lot on it. But it is a big story when it comes to Tesla because it doesn't just affect Elon. It affects the whole company. It affects all the shareholders. And it is a complicated story um, in, in at, at many levels. And if you want to... You, you you can listen to just the the Elonators that just say take take his money away he's a rich man anyway or you can listen to the Tesla fan that says give Elon his money he's due um, that's uh, that's going a little too simple I think I think it's, it's a little bit more about this story uh, and um, we're gonna try to get into it a little bit so if you haven't been following this week it, it's it's been long in the making that's that's the thing too that as people confuse like people are saying like why is it happening now why is it not happening in 2018 or whenever anytime bef- between 2018 and now i don't have the exact answer on that just other than the court system is extremely slow i'm myself <laughs> cut into a lawsuit now that's been going on for two years and i don't see any hand in sight so like i know that the court system can be extremely slow uh, so I, I think that's the that's the real answer. But we're talking about a judge in Delaware voiding, resending the Tesla CEO compensation package, performance-based compensation package from 2018, uh, which ran from 2018 to 2020, 2022, 2021, when uh, all the trenches of that, all the milestone of that package were completed. And... Uh, Package is worth roughly $55, $56 billion if completed. And it was completed by Elon. And it was voted, approved by shareholders. So why can it be rescinded? That's the big question. So as soon so as, soon as the, it was um, put in place, voted by shareholders in 2018, that's when the lawsuit was started by a shareholder. For context, it's a shareholder that owns only nine shares. It's a shareholder that most likely doesn't care about the situation at all. Uh, most likely a shareholder just put in place by uh, a law firm that saw um, Tesla's board and Elon circumventing the laws and the rules of regulation of a public company and decided to take advantage of that. That I, I will not dispute. So you, you, we can argue all day whether that is, is good and bad, but that's not really the point. The point is... Um, the judge heard both sides of that of that situation, and then um, <laughs> uh, we are uh, uh, six years later, more like five six years later now. Um, that's when the decision came out this week. But actually, this this um, went to trial in 2022, so over a year ago at this point. Uh, and again, for context, during that trial, the judge heard from virtually everyone involved in making that compensation package happen. So Tesla board members, the compensation committee, especially uh, Elon, Elon's lawyer, who happened to be also Tesla's general counsel at the time, uh, Todd Maron, and uh, everyone involved in this, basically. 
got all the information that was all on their hold too, uh, which you know has uh, consequences if you end up lying. And the judge took all that information in and decided that indeed the compensation package should be voided. Why? Now, of course, Elon, as soon as the um, news came out, went on a full propaganda effort to control the narrative and say that this is uh, pure madness because the judge is taking away the rights of the shareholders to decide for themselves. The problem with that narrative, I can sympathize with that narrative. I actually voted for him to get that compensation package back in 2018 because it made sense to me like, oh, okay, yes, Elon gets 6% more of the company, but if for him to get that, the company has to increase its value by $600 billion, which is going to make shareholders very rich. So it makes sense. But the problem with that is that is not really what's at stake in this case. What's at stake in this case is the fundamental um, foundation, really, of public companies, which is that the company, the board, the CEO cannot mislead, cannot uh, mislead, cannot lie to the shareholders. And the shareholders have voted on the package, but if they have voted without having the right information about the package, then the vote doesn't doesn't make sense. Uh, for those that don't remember, the, the, the vote on this was 80% of the share that were voted on. Of course, Elon didn't vote his shares, obviously. Um, but 80% of the shares that uh, were voted were voted for the package and 20% voted against. So still 20% of the Tesla shareholder didn't want that package to go through in the first place. So I think that's worth noting. But 80% did it, which is a strong majority. But maybe, and I know, like this is the, the thing that I want the Elon's fans like, uh, like I see Brett let Elon get paid here, and that, that's a valid argument. Maybe you can you still want Elon to get paid after getting all the information, but that's the that's a that's a thing. You need all the information before making that decision. And maybe other people getting the old the old information, maybe they would think differently. Because and here's the thing: everyone commenting on this should probably read the entire decision. And I know it's a long one; it's like a 200 page decision that was released by the judge here, uh, but. It is a fascinating one because it does give you like an in-depth look at how the biggest compensation package of all time for a CEO came to be. Um, it goes into details on how on what Elon did to make it happen, what the board did to make it happen and all that. And that is at the core of this litigation here is that the board misrepresented the package at being put together by independent board member and um, and in fact, the board member was for far from independent from Elon. And also Elon himself was basically the one crafting the entire package. Then his friends on the board approved it. And not only that, you had his personal lawyer uh, was the go-between Elon and um, the um, the board. But Don Marin was Elon's personal lawyer, his personal divorce lawyer representing him. And he was also representing the company, the board, at the same time as uh, general counsel. So th that right there is already like a big red flag. Uh, and then, of course, you can. We don't need to go into all the details here of the relationship between. And I know that a lot of people focus on. Yeah, we all knew that it was not the, the board's were members were not independent. They were friends on Elon, but you can put friends on the board and everything like that. That's completely true. You're allowed to put your friends on the board. It it goes beyond that in the case of Tesla, unfortunately. It's not just his friend. And obviously, the, the his brother is on the board, but his brother recused himself from, from the, the, the compensation meetings. Uh, but 
people like Ira, I, I, I can never pronounce his name, Ira Efrenstein, I think. Um, I don't know if I have him in here. He's uh, one of the only one that's still still on the Tesla board. I don't know if he's on the compensation coming, you know, but Ira is, is his first name. Um, then you have Antonio Gracias, who is not on the board anymore. He's probably the biggest problem in this in this case here because uh, he was an extremely close friend of Elon and he had personal financial dealings. So that's it's not just friend th friend things. Ira, Antonio, all have personal financial dealings with Elon outside of Tesla. Uh, so that makes them non-independent anymore. And uh, the only one that can really be claimed to be independent in this whole thing uh, was uh, Robin Denholm, who is now chairman of the board. Um, and this all happened during that time too. And it's this is all detail in uh, in the lawsuit. It's very interesting where you see basically Elon chose Robin to be the the chairwoman. So, and we all know how that came to be. Elon was kicked out of the chair uh, by the SEC for misrepresenting having secured enough um, funding for to taste as a pirate, which was uh, false, obviously. But um, so right after that happened, it's like, okay, I'm not chair anymore. Who's going to be chair? And he, he, he and Kimball uh, suggested Robin and Elon was like, yeah, sure. And then Robin said no. <laughs> and then Elon convinced Robin to say yes. And obviously, Robin was the independent member on the uh, compensation committee. So she was the one that could have probably like made this thing. If she was like the only one, she could have made this thing work. Like there would be no litigation here. But she sided obviously with everyone on the board, all the Elon's friends. And that makes sense because she was also getting a fat compensation package during that time that made her extremely rich. A little bit too rich because she ended up settling with the other bonds member to return seven hundred and thirty-five billion dollars worth of just crazy in cash, um, and now she happens to be selling fifty million dollars worth now, like now and until the end of the until uh, the summer. Uh, she's allowed to sell fifty million dollars worth of Tesla share, which I think is pretty much like what she has left. So I think she's you have a little theory on that. She's out as soon as the yeah. check clears. She's gone. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, and I think she might not be the only one on the board with, with this, like, so basically be, between all that, between Elon being behind the one crafting his own compensation plan and everything, this is just not how a compensation plan is supposed to come together in a public company. So that's what the judge ruled on, okay? Um, so it's not about taking away the right for the shareholders to decide. In fact, all this situation is doing really is going to force another vote on an updated compensation package. Uh, and you know what? It can be like the exact same package in terms of uh, compensation for Elon, like in terms of actual value. And then the shareholders just need to be presented by it in, a, in an honest way. Like, yeah, uh, Elon basically crafted this whole thing <laughs> uh, with his lawyers. And uh, there was a little bit of negotiation. And again, you can read the whole decision. It goes into details. And, and that's not like the judge saying that. That's not Electric saying that. That's that's Elon and his friends saying that. Like it's all taken from the actual testimonies of those people on their oath. And, um, and yeah, so shareholders are going to be able to vote on it again. So if you want to... Pass it uh, again with those information. You're going to be able to. And you know what? I'm, I have still have Tesla shares. I might vote for it because I think 
he might deserve that. Like he, he actually delivered on the performance during that time. During that time at Tesla, he uh, Tesla went from a fifty billion dollars company to a six hundred billion dollar companies. They delivered the 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 ramped up the Model Three uh, to be a best selling vehicles. They delivered the Model Y, ramped up the Model Ys to be the best selling car in the world. Um, the uh, they vastly expanded the supercharger network. Uh, Tesla became highly profitable, the first all-electric automakers to do so. Great things was achieved under Zealand leadership right now. Of course, this is like a retroactive thing, obviously. This is like for that period. Now, if you tell me like now he needs a new competition plan because that plan ended uh, last year uh, or the year before that, actually. Um, now would be a different case because like I, uh, we, I know we talked about this plenty of time on the podcast, but I think Elon is like a, very much a part-time CEO now is heading six, uh, five other companies, so six companies in total. He's also a full-time political influencer at this point. Like, I don't, I think Tesla deserve a full-time CEO, really. So, um, I, I agree. I think we should game plan or game this out a little bit because, you know, there, it, 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 it kind of seems to me that Elon will not be the head of Tesla uh, in a year. Like it, it seems like it's impossible for his uh, demands to be met. And he's not I don't a quitter, even, though. No, he's not a quitter. Uh, but I mean, let's game it out. So, in a certain amount of time, Tesla's board is probably going to put forth a similar package that he has. Now, will they include that his new package in that package? That, so, like, that's the big question. That's the big question. The 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 might. But do you th- do you think the same pay package would pass now? I mean, keep in mind, yes, like Elon did all those things, but he also, you know, kind of made FSD a joke. He, you know, went really hard right wing. He did all these things that, you know, maybe, you know, maybe investors aren't too happy about. Also, Tesla over the last two years, three years is, you know, basically flat. So, um you know, current investors who are going to be voting on this, it's not going to be past investors, current investors are going to say to themselves, do I want to dilute uh, my shares, my newly, you know, undiluted shares? Um, Do I want to do that or not? And so it was 80% before, it might be, you know, less than that this time, that's going to be a big vote, like that's going to be, you know, a $60 billion, $60 billion vote. Are we going to take $60 billion worth of Tesla out of Tesla and give it to Elon? Or are we just going to keep that as shareholders? And I'm like, I'm pretty much out of the, you know, yeah. the, te- the Tesla game. So, you know, I really don't have skin in it. But for me, it's like, I don't know that that's going to pass. Like, I don't, I don't think it's going to pass the same. It's definitely not going to get 80%. It's definitely going to go south of 80. I don't know if it goes south of 50, though. Yeah, it's just it, it's hard to guess really because they it, it might kind of cancel each other out. Like the fact that he actually delivered on it, and a lot of people weren't sure at all. Uh, it gave Elon a ton of credibility and, and everything at that time. So they're like, "All right, maybe we can do it again," and, and all that. And so, so that helps. And then, of course, you're right. There's a lot of people that are like, "Screw that," and everything. But also, there's a lot of people, a lot of people that said, "Screw that," and everything are out of Tesla too, just like you. 
Right. Uh, so you have to take that into account. There's a lot of people that are still in Tesla or are big Elon fan. I know right. there's still like people like me though that are still like shareholders and like because they just believe in Tesla's mission and everything, and they they believe that the Elon Musk situation will work itself out eventually. What's, what's like uh, the breakdown retail versus in, institutional investors? In uh, yeah, institutional I think is over thirty percent. Um, yeah, I mean it's hard to yeah, see them. That wanting to hand insiders, over 50, 50 billion. Of, yeah, you have a lot of insiders, and uh, then uh, then you have the retail. Uh, I don't, uh, retail is not majority. I think it's uh, a little bit short of a majority. Right. I mean, I don't know. Like, I know it's not going to be eighty percent. I think it's going to be less than eighty percent. But I don't know if it's going to be under fifty percent. So that's that's the previous plan. Then the new plan, where you know Elon's saying, "Hey, I'm starting all these you know AI companies." And I might take the stuff with me and I might not. And you guys better give me more and more and more. That to me seems like a hard sell. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that, that I agree. Unless, unless it comes with a clear, like, because by the way, that's a, another thing that was highlighted in the decision, which everyone that's commenting on this should read is, um, is, is that when they did that, historic plan of worth $55 billion, there was nothing in there that said Elon would stay at Tesla for a certain period of time and and uh, uh, work at Tesla a certain amount of time, even though I know that back then Elon had less uh, other ventures and everything, but he still had SpaceX. He still had the boring company. Uh, I don't exactly remember in 2018 if he had Neuralink. Or, but he had a lot of other things going on at that time already. Um, he just had started OpenAI and all that. So there were a lot of other things going on, and there was no mention whatsoever. You need to spend like a certain amount of time at Tesla and all that. Uh, to be fair, like he did spend a lot of, a lot of time during those uh, 2018, 2019, 2020, like slept at the factory and all that. Yep. The, 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 give I give him all the credit for that. Um, but there was none of that in writing on it like that. So maybe if there is that in the new one, that like hey, you have to be that maybe. There was nothing about the sell of those exercise options. Like when when Elon sold like thirty nine billion dollars worth of Tesla stock, he did it on the open market, which is completely unprecedented. Uh, I know, like people are like, "Hey, no one is like saying anything." When Jeff Bezos sells uh, billions of Amazon stock, well, Jeff Bezos is a lot smarter the way that he sells his Amazon stock, and he's not like crashing it every time that he does. Um, so. Uh, doesn't help either, obviously, but still, he, he, he signs a plan with the company normally to do it and everything. And it's a lot cleaner than giant open market sell that Elon did. So, so yeah, if there is some of that included, I think I think Elon can do it and like do like he's great at propaganda too and everything. So he can make like a campaign to convince people to do it. I think that's possible. Now, uh, however. There's there's other aspects to this. So Elon went more than a little propaganda campaign. He uh, he blamed it on Delaware, which a lot of people asked me like, why was this in Delaware in the first place? Uh, because Tesla is incorporated in Delaware. Why was Tesla incorporated in Delaware? Then uh, Tesla wasn't founded in Delaware. It was founded in California. Now it's based in Texas. So what is it about? A lot of companies are being incorporated in Delaware for tax reasons and. Probably beyond tax reason, because there's a plenty of other states that are federal to tax reason. It's the court system there. Um, the, the the court system is extremely pro corporate, <laughs> and Tesla had similar lawsuits in the past too that didn't go through. Like this, this one is specifically managed to to apply from that. So, like people now are blaming the judge in particular. They are 
Tesla fans are accusing her of being in, the, in Biden's pockets and all that, even though I've never seen any strong evidence of the case. The only thing I've seen people use right now to claim that, and then it gets repeated. But the actual evidence is that she, be, before being a judge, she worked at a law firm, and that law firm gave money to the Biden campaign. That's the stretch there. That's why she's in Biden's pocket, which is a big stretch, especially in the U.S. where money in politics is just. Yeah, that's that's tenuous. I mean, that's almost like that's that's a conspiracy theory. Like you got to have like the pictures and the the lines drawing. And yeah, but that's exactly what they did. So they did that. They they did that. And then uh, Elon like responded to that comment. And then everyone is just repeating. Oh, she's just in Biden's pocket based on that, which is uh, not great. Not a great look. So, yeah, so now Elon instead uh, blamed the court system in Delaware and his strategy now is to move Tesla's incorporation, and that's the next story we're going to get to, to move Tesla's incorporation state from Delaware to Texas, which is very pro-shareholders, according to Elon, <laughs> even though like... I'm sure Delaware he's done the research. <laughs> yeah, I mean... Delaware is like this specific Delaware is very pro shareholder, obviously. And this specific lawsuit, the result, the decision was technically pro shareholders. Exactly. They decided that it's it's against the executive, against the CEO of the company. That's that's what it's against. It it's it cited against. It's pro. It's anti misleading shareholders. So that's very pro shareholders. Obviously, uh, I know I know that a lot of people feel that they were not mis- misled. And I'm kind of one of them, to be honest, because I was when I voted for it, I was very aware of the board members not being independent. I was not as aware of how much Elon and his lawyer were involved in crafting the compensation. So that that I, I can probably say that I was misled too, to, to that degree. Uh, but still, um, may, the point is, like, if you are one of those shareholders are like, ah, I don't feel misled. That's not the point. Maybe another shareholder was not as aware to you. I can say he should have done his due diligence. Yes, but there's a degree to it. Like you can do your due diligence up until the company is lying to you. The company is calling someone that's lending millions of dollars to Elon personally, uh, uh, an independent board member. Like you, you, anyone can understand that if you're lending millions of dollars to someone. And then you approve you're you're on the board of their company and you approve them to get paid billions of dollars. There's a little conflict of interest going on. A lot. Like, it's problematic for sure. Very problematic. So, so just give McCormick the judge a break. Like the Tesla fans are going crazy on her. Like she's a judge. She has to follow the rules of the law. And then she's presented with that information. Of course she's gonna rule against it. Like it makes no sense. Um so yeah. So Elon, instead of, of so, oh yeah, I, I should go back to my main point in, in all this before moving to the Texas thing. If anything, what the decision showed, it showed that Tesla has a governance issue. And I know like governance is a weird word now, especially uh, for Elon fans, because Elon is a super anti-ESG. Uh, e, uh, what is it? Yeah, um, I think it's ESG. Or something and like what that. does it stand for? environment sustainability and governance, and governance maybe 
Yeah, yeah, and governance. Now, governance is definitely one of them. But like people are saying, oh, it is this DIE crowd and ASG crowd that are pushing governance. Governance has been way before was been around way before ESG. It's, it's the basis of a public company. It's like how it's been governed. Public companies, especially at the scale of Tesla, are like mini government at this point. Like you, you, they, they have branches and they have executive power and they have the board, which is like the Congress, basically. Like you, you, you have all these things going on, and that's what, what that's what it's based on. And you have the voters, who are the shareholders, the stakeholders in this. So the relationship, the governance, is the relationship between all of that and all it needs to be according to the rules of a public company. And Tesla is just not. Is playing fast and loose with it, basically. So there needs to be, and and again, the point is not just about this lawsuit, not just about this Elon's compensation package. Is that in the decision it highlights the governance issues that led to this problem in the compensation package, but it is the same the same sources of the problems we're seeing now. Other problems like Elon admitting of a conflict of interest in AI related to AI startup and Tesla possible even breach of fiduciary duty and the board just sitting on their hands doing nothing. That is part of the governance issue. Yeah. Uh, so it's just highlighting it in the compensation package aspect, but we're seeing other impact of that same issue. And now Elon, instead of being a reasonable person looking at both side of things uh, and, and saying, okay, maybe we should fix that at Tesla, which is completely fixable, honestly. It's not that hard to fix if you have the if you're willing to do it. Instead, he's saying this is a political, politically motivated attack, and uh, and then what we're going to do instead is we're going to move the corporation to Texas, uh, and Texas, all the judges are for me and everything. Uh, so are we going to be fine? And uh, we're going to just pass the package again, and then if they bring it back to court again, it's going to go to Texas, and then it's going to be shut down. Boom! That's the solution. So no. I was I had a little bit of hope that maybe this could lead to a good thing and we could get a bigger governance at Tesla but no instead it's just uh, it's just going to be that and 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 of course that was beautifully played by Elon in terms of uh, marketing what he did he did a Twitter poll uh, in his Twitter poll he said should Tesla change its state of incorporation to Texas home of its uh, physical headquarters so that's it that's the only thing so a lot of people have no context whatsoever about this like they don't know what's going on, and of course, yeah, of course, it should be incorporated in the phys- in the physical headquarters. Also, only two two possible answers: yes or no. So, no, uh, I don't have a strong opinion on this, and I just want to see the results. None of that. So, the poll is completely useless, and obviously, unsurprisingly, it was voted eighty-seven percent yes, thirteen uh, percent uh, no. So now, Elon is going to move to this vote to the shareholders, which is obviously the only thing that matter. Now it needs to be presented correctly to the shareholders. So hopefully the board uh, had its lesson and is going to do that this time. But this is one that's a lot easier to pass, obviously, because again, it makes sense to be incorporated where your headquarters are. Uh, and uh, so Elon uh, is going to build the supports. And I, I, I'm pretty sure that Elon is also going to be able to vote his shares on that. I don't see uh, why he couldn't. Uh, he probably shouldn't, obviously. But, you, but the point, is, I mean, it doesn't matter where they're incorporated. This has already happened. Tesla's in Delaware currently. So it, this is not going to reverse the decision, though. No, but if they do it, and then when, whenever they do... So I, I assume that they're going to do that. And if it passes, which probably will, they will not even appeal the decision. 
they will just recraft the package, get it to a vote again, pass it if they can, and then move on from this. Right. Here, here's they, an idea. Yeah. What if they said, all right, one package from 2018 to whenever, and it's basically you have to keep growing the stock and you get more money, but if you if the stock drops to 100 or 150, you lose all the stuff that you gained, you know, yeah. gained. I feel like that would be fair. It would certainly be more fair and make it makes sense. I don't know how. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. Especially people should keep in mind, Elon hasn't exercised its uh, his shares from the his stock option from that package. Um, so well, he had gotten that package and then he sold all of his old stuff to pay the taxes on getting that package and also buying Twitter. So uh, well, yes and no. I mean, I, I think he wouldn't have got he wouldn't have bought Twitter if uh, does that mean that's big or not? I don't know why I'm. That's weird. I don't know. I don't think he would have bought Twitter if he hadn't completed all the milestones for that package, knowing that he would get that 6% more stake in Tesla worth $55 billion. That's for sure. But he actually never, uh, there's a five year waiting period to exercise those shares. So he hasn't exercised them yet. He paid, uh, he bought Twitter after exercising the shares from his previous plans. Uh, so he, he had two Plivers pins in uh, 2008 or 9, and then one in 2012, if I remember correctly. And those each give him 4% more of the company. So that's part of also, too, like w- w- the, the board asked, like, why, why was it 6% this time? Like, why, like, how did that happen? It was 4% the first time, which was extremely generous. 4% of the second time was extremely generous. And now why 6%? Like, that, that, that made no sense. And then, so was it negotiated and everything? Nope. No, not negotiated at all. The only thing that was negotiated is like one of the trenches was like bumped up by a hundred million dollars. Um, also, there were there was issues with how there was negotiation in terms of how actually uh, ambitious the plan was. The plan was ambitious for sure, but actually, from the Tesla's perspective internally, their own projection was for the most part matching this this plan. So it was like it's not it was not like. Um, they were it was a new super high target it was just we already had very uh credible growth in our projection and now we need to execute on them uh just to make the difference obviously i'm not saying that it was easy to execute on that it was not like i'm not i'm not saying that all right we're half we're half hour in let's let's talk about uh tesla cybertruck powering yeah uh, good idea good idea So yeah, we, we are starting to have a little bit more info about the PowerShare. So the PowerShare is the uh, home uh, bidirectional charging feature of the Cybertruck. So the Cybertruck obviously uh, came with the first bidirectional charging power uh, capability in Tesla vehicles, where you can charge basically anything out of the outlet that you have in the bed of the truck, uh, or you can even charge another vehicle, another EV if you want. But in terms of charging your home with it, powering your home, that's the new PowerShare feature. And... Um, we we didn't we we haven't had uh, the the details on it other than uh, it's um, it, it's it's gonna it needs the hardware of the gateway which is also used for the power wall uh, it needs the new uh, power share connector or the universal connector one or the other uh, which is a six hundred dollar product the gateway is an eighteen hundred dollar product so you need these hardware. If you already have the power wall, you should be having those, but I'm going to get to that a little bit later because apparently that's not as simple as that. 
And uh, then you need all of that installed. And then if you have an outage at your home, you could just plug it in. And instead of charging your truck, it's your truck that's going to charge your home. That's going to power your home. Uh, so it replaces a power wall or it replaces a gas generator or something like that. Um, so the, the feature, even though Tesla has been uh, delivering trucks since um, last year, uh, we haven't heard about anyone getting an installation on this. A few weeks ago, Tesla started sending out surveys to owners or, or buyers, even if you didn't already have the truck, just to get an idea of when, uh, if you are eligible for it. So it's not clear what the criteria are to be eligible. It probably has to do with your, where your home is, because I assume that Tesla doesn't have uh, installers everywhere for this just yet. And um, also probably the electrical situation at your home. Tesla is going to probably start with, the, I mean, everything, you can do everything basically, like eventually, but just how hard it is to get there. So probably some Tesla wants to start with the easier ones. Uh, but now we are, we're starting to hear, to hear from Cybertruck owners who are, are getting installation schedules. So they have actual deals to make this happen now. Uh, so uh, first off, on the hardware side, the what Tesla is doing because of the Foundation Series package, so Tesla is only right now delivering Foundation Series Cybertrucks, and you have uh, the all-wheel drive version and you have the Cyber Beast version. So Tesla is including the hardware for PowerShare for both. So it's part of the deal with the Foundation Series. But the installation is not included for the all-wheel drive. It is included for the Cyber Beast. But it is, now we learn that it's included with a $4,000 installation credit or rebate, whatever you want. So, so it's, uh, if it goes over $4,000, you're going to pay for it. If it's under, you're, gonna, you're, you're fine. So I assume that that means that Tesla estimate that the, the installation cost is going to average around $4,000 for an installation, which is not cheap, but still a lot cheaper than a, a power wall, obviously, or even like a good gas generator, and especially if you account for, for the gas. Uh, so now people are starting to schedule those, those installation, but apparently a lot of people are, even if you have power wall, you do need some additional hardware, apparently. So that's... Uh, Something to keep in mind. And, um, oh yeah, and then we also learned that the off-grid feature is the only one that's activated. So the only way to use PowerShare right now is for backup power when you are off-grid. So there's no peak shaving uh, capability with the Cybertruck's PowerShare feature right now. So uh, you can forget about that. It's not clear if Tesla is going to do it, if when is they going to do it, because we know that Elon was always a little bit reticent in, in deploying that feature. He's always like bad modding, like throwing cold water on, on bidirectional charging. He doesn't really want the vehicles to have that capacity, but Tesla is actually like doing it anyway. Um, and we assume that peak shaving was part of it because that would uh, charge and discharge the Cybertruck's battery a little bit more, a lot more, obviously. And, and that would affect the battery pack and that would might look bad for, uh, for Tesla in terms of battery degradation and all that. So they want um, they want to focus just on uh, power outages off grid, which which I think makes sense for for that product, honestly. Uh, but it's going to be interesting now to see uh, the actual installations happening. And uh, uh, we we already have a few. I talked to two different Cybertruck owners, and one of them, um, b both of them actually were not Cyberbeast buyers; they were all-wheel drive buyers. Uh, and both of them, at the installation cost was over four thousand dollars. So. Something to keep in mind. <laughs> so all in, like even like let's say it's five thousand dollars in installation, and you you're not a foundation series owner, and you need to buy the hardware. You 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 need to expect something probably a 
in the range of the six thousand, seven thousand dollars all in to get access to that feature. Now, do you think they'll let just regular old electricians do the installation, or do you have to have like Tesla come out and do it? Uh, that's a good point. I should add that uh, people that are being uh, quoted right now, it's like Tesla is not sending you like the, the package. It is sending it to a certified Tesla installer and doesn't seem to have any option or anything. So it doesn't look like you can like negotiate pricing or anything. So Tesla is like, this is the guy that's going to do the installation for you because he's certified with us. He's going to give you a price and <laughs> you take it or leave it. So I, I'm, mm. I'm sure that take rate is going to be very good for the foundation series, even with the installation having to be paid because people is going to feel like they're going to leave the hardware on the table if they don't do it. So they're probably going to pay for the installation. And it's pretty um, compelling. I mean, you've got yeah. basically like 10 power walls in that, in that truck worth of electricity yeah. for 4,000 bucks. That doesn't seem like a bad deal. Yeah. No, no, it, it, it's not like you could with some power consumption management, you, you could easily power the, your, your house for a few days. Like, it's, uh, it's not yeah, bad. a week even. Yeah. All right. The next one is the wheel covers. So we, we talked about before the, the wheels covers that are a little bit problematic for the Cybertruck. We've seen them like fly off of a, of the truck before. Uh, and uh, it seems like it's not it, it's not just a one-time issue, an electronic issue. It seems like a, <laughs> a bunch of uh, people took pictures of Cybertruck as superchargers. And often you can see like one, one wheel cover missing. Um, so... Uh, Jamie posted an article here. We we learned from a few uh, owners that uh, Tesla is not delivering Cybertrucks with the covers on anymore. They are they were wearing out too quickly, and they are pushing on the on the tire basically, and they are falling off. So they are redesigning them to fix that issue. So if you're taking delivery of Cybertruck in the next few weeks, don't expect to have the wheel covers, which are very good for efficiency. Obviously, uh, talking about probably a ten percent gain in, in, in aerodynamic performance. So for now, they, you're they don't ter- terribly aerodynamic. I mean, obviously better than, but you know they have the those yeah. like fan things. So what what happens is the tire smushes down and it like hits that side of the. Yeah, it sounds like, and then it erodes pretty quickly, and then it just falls off if uh, uh, if you get some air in, in there. It's funny, um, you know. I'm surprised it wasn't spun as like, hey, the the wheel covers come off as a weapon if you know somebody's rolling coal on you you can get them back <laughs> no okay it's like the james bond thing where like yeah. you, you activate something and it like the nails comes out of the of the truck exactly um, all right we had, we had an interesting report here coming from bloomberg this week about a new lfp a small lfp battery cell factory coming to nevada um by tesla um Taking a little bit grain of salt on the report because it's there's not many details and it's not um, it's not clear. They said it's coming to Sparks and uh, so Sparks is like the the, the city like uh, east of uh, Reno. Uh, sometimes people say that Nevada, uh, Gigafactory Nevada is in Sparks, so I don't know if like they're saying it's gonna be because they don't, they don't say that the factory is gonna be like on the on Gigafactory Nevada, which is getting a new battery factory for forty six eighty cells. Uh, but um, so it might be in actual the Spark Sparks and not Gifar Nevada. So it's, it's not clear on that. Um, but they say that Tesla is building a new small facility to build uh, LFP cells using machinery from CATL. So CATL is apparently not involved other than selling them the machinery to build them. And that's important for context because some automakers are under fire by the government here right now, especially the Republicans uh, regarding um 
involvement of Chinese battery manufacturers like Ford, for example, uh, partnering with CATL for their LFP factory in the U.S. That's uh, I've raised some red flags because um, I guess some people are seeing it as CATL getting around the protectionist approach that the uh, government is taking to encourage battery manufacturing in the U.S. I guess I guess that's the argument, even though at the end of the day, it's going to be U.S. jobs. So <laughs> I'm not sure I get the point. Anyway, uh, they just don't want it to be owned by Chinese. Um, though seems, this like, case, seems like cattle is pretty far ahead in the LFP world. Like so any, far ahead. But UID is also doing good, but that's also Chinese. Right. But it's it's weird because uh, I think LFP was invented in the U.S. And I think uh, we kind of just sat on our hands there and China was like, oh, this seems like a good technology. Let's let's uh, develop it. Let's spend you know, 10, 20 years working on this. And here we are. Yeah, I think CATL produced like most of them. So that makes sense that they have developed the best machinery for it. So Tesla is going to take that machinery and then operate its own small, they call it a small facility. They're not talking about any output. And they specifically said too that it sells for the mega pack. So interesting too. All right, we have a few more new items, news items to discuss, and then we're going to jump into the comment section. So if you guys have any questions for us, put them in the comment section right now when I get to them in a few minutes. Uh, it can be about anything, that any subject that we discussed today or any other subject in the EV space or clean energy space that you want us to uh, uh, comment on. All right, big news. So this is for a Canadian. So we have a lot of Canadian listeners on the show. So this is a big news for you. Tesla last night dropped the price of the Model Y in Canada on the two base version of the vehicle. So the rear-wheel drive, $4,000 cheaper at $54,000 Canadian. And maybe more importantly, the dual motor all-wheel drive long range is also down $4,000. It's now $64,000. And the fact that it's $64,000 is very important, not just for Canada itself, but specifically for uh, people in Quebec, because that brings the price down on uh, below the $65,000 uh, threshold to be eligible for the $7,000 rebate for electric vehicles. So now... Finally, the dual motor version is going to have access to both. So now the, the, the real drive version already had access to both, and now it's $4,000 cheaper. So it's going to be popular across Canada, which has the $5,000 federal rebate. And so now the, the, basically the Model Y is a $49,000 car, Canadian. Well, Canadian pesos for our, our American friends, I think it's like $0.70 cents, uh, a dollar. Really? Like I thought it was closer. Yeah. Yeah, maybe it's a little bit closer now, maybe like $75. I'm not so sure. I should know because I got paid in the US. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but uh, the, uh, the, the, I would have to assume, I don't have the figures in front of me, that the rear-wheel drive is more popular in Canada because it's obviously cheaper. But the all-wheel drive long range is also extremely popular in Canada for a few reasons, uh, just because of the climate here being a lot rougher. So in the winter, the longer range is a lot useful because you lose more range. But the all-wheel drive is also... Uh, very light to, to people because driving in the snow, it can be a, very useful. So I know personally some people, I think my parents are in that uh, market too, uh, were interested to get the Model Y, but they wanted a dual motor one. And they felt like they were just short of getting that uh, $7,000 for the government. So they felt like they were just leaving money to the table if they went with the Model Y instead of going with a competitor that has dual motor, uh, all-wheel drive, but get access to the rebate in Quebec. So now the Model Y, well, it's not on the eligible list just yet, or at least not 
this morning when I when I check, uh, but it should be uh, like any any time now uh, be added because I don't see why it wouldn't. So now it brings the price uh, down to, uh, twelve thousand dollars on this thing. So it's basically a fifty-two thousand dollar car that you get for all-wheel drive and long range. So probably going to be a big boost uh, for sales for Tesla in the, in Quebec in the in the coming weeks. Are you getting one? I'm tempted, but I'm going to wait at the end of the quarter, see if they, they have uh, another like incentive like uh, FSD transfer or, or like yeah, unlimited supercharging transfer, something like that. Because uh, otherwise it's not worth it because they're not giving me enough money for my Model 3, basically. Yeah, and I, I saw uh, MKBHD review the Model 3 quite nicely. Like I, I feel like he he's usually a little bit more uh even and he was like all you know he was very pro pro model three yeah yeah he liked it a lot all right this is an interesting one uh we we have this um so the the norwegian automobile federation always supposed uh, very post a very interesting yearly range test uh in the winter for electric vehicles and it's always a very interesting uh, process because it's like a convoy of vehicle basically and we all perform in the exact same um, conditions so you, you get a very good idea and then they compare the range in the winter to the WLTP which is obviously expected to be lower than WLTP because it's real world and it is winter uh, but it's a, it's a good way to get an idea of how well vehicles perform in the cold and how close they are to the advertised range and uh, very very interesting performance here uh, this year I think out of the so this is not is this this is not in order though. Um, is there the link to the test itself? Because uh, the test itself has a very interesting chart where you see the, perf the performance compared to the WLTP. No, it's no. All right. Anyway, I remember it by heart basically. But out of the five, out of the top five, I think. Four of them are Chinese automakers. That's yep. That's, that should tell you something. And and by that I mean the longest range and the closest to their WLTP announced range. So more realistic range and longer performance in winter driving. And the top one was one that uh, I mean we saw it. Uh, you remember uh, last year we saw it in uh, where was it in uh, in Germany? Yeah, uh, Eva. Is that how you pronounce that? Wait, no, Eva? sorry. Sorry, that that's a different show in Germany. Um, <laughs> Hi-Fi? Uh, hi I don't know. F I was going to say Hi-Fi, personally, but... Wow, my brain is fried. Why can't I remember? You you heard it? You heard someone say... I, I don't think I've ever heard anyone say it out loud. <laughs> no, but it's H-I-P-H-I -H -I for people. <laughs> uh, figure it out yourself, basically. Uh, it's the, the first one that you see here. Okay, it's a, it's a very, like, aggressive-looking vehicle, like, kind of a sedan crossover uh on Reminds the back me of the, uh bmw i8 a little bit yeah 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 a little bit of that uh it's very aggressive looking and it had the the best performance so uh the advertised right and we'll, let's stick to kilometers here because they do kilometers there um 555 kilometers actually did 520 so 555 that's the wltp it did 522 so only lost six percent range over the, the the advertised range so that's that's truly beautiful 
Um, BYD did the minus 20%. Uh, let me see what were the... Uh, the Lotus did very good at minus. So I, I counted the Lotus as a Chinese automaker because it's they're they're Chinese owned, right? And I think they are built in China too. Are they? Yep. Yes. Yep. Okay. So that makes sense. Neo did very well at uh, the EL6. Did the minus fourteen. Uh, ET5 also. Uh, who else did great? Uh, Xpeng did thirty minus thirteen to five twenty. Um, WLTP four fifty two basically. Uh, actual range so one that was very disappointing so tesla always did very well in that range test however the big difference this year and it's it might have been a difference i'm pretty sure yeah okay so they only did the model 3 and they only did the new model 3 um now the new model 3 is actually supposed to be more efficient but maybe it's the winter thing what happened but it did it didn't be awful because there's some of them that did worse but it didn't score very high, uh, minus 30%. So it lost 30%, 621 uh, kilometers advertised range and 441 kilometers. Uh, but the, the big difference here is like, it's probably, again, Tesla being a little bit more optimistic and pushing the advertised range, WLTP range, APA in the US, a little bit too much. Uh, because uh, you can see it, like, for example, like the, the Polestar also got minus 30, but uh, the, the, the advertising 614, uh, got 430. Uh, even the the hi-fi or whatever you want to call it was uh, coming in at 555. Um, so the hi-fi had a lower advertised range than the Model 3, but a uh, higher actual range when tested. Yeah, I mean, to me, it's almost more impressive to have a lower, uh, you know, kilowatt hours per 1,000 kilometers uh, rating than, you know, being close to your... Um, your uh, stated out, you know, your not yeah. EPA, but WLTP. I think that's where the, the you know, the work, real, like, impressive work is, is getting yeah. your mileage on. Because I think that winning car had, like, a 120-kilowatt-hour battery, mm -hmm. which is huge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so so so, it, so I'm not I'm not familiar enough with the WLTP, but I would assume that it, there's similarities to the EPA in terms of, like, you, you there's, there's room. Like, so otherwise, like, doesn't make too much sense uh, uh, in terms of the, the, the battery capacity and the actual rated range, like you just said. All right, uh, we got more news from the dealership side of things. So we've been tracking the dealers in the U.S. Uh, so as a potential obstacle, basically, for EV adoptions. And uh, they keep proving us right that uh, we were <laughs> we were right to to be afraid of that. Uh, obviously, like a few months ago, we reported on the four thousand of them in the U.S. lobbying for lower standards um, uh, for emission standards, so that that forces EV adoptions. And uh, and now we get a survey from uh, Auto News that surveyed the two hundred and eight dealers and the dealership manager in the U.S. to get an idea of how they see EV adoption. And uh, it basically confirmed the, that uh, the majority of them are not, they, they, they see EVs as a bad thing rather than a good thing. 83% uh, of the dealers surveyed said that they believe the federal government is pushing them into EVs too fast. 55% believe that the EVs aren't generating customer interest or sell at their store with some or a lack of inventory, which is interesting because if lack of inventory, 
letter to the White House a few months ago saying that they had too many ZV in inventory and that was their concern. So like, slow us down. We cannot sell them. And the others are like, we cannot sell them because we don't have them. Makes no sense. Uh, and if you're one of one that makes no sense, look at this one here. I, I couldn't stop laughing when I, I, I was I was reading the the, uh, the the report from Auto News and they didn't highlight that. Like they missed that one completely. They just posted that Michael Lucky, general manager of a car dealership in New York, they said that uh, he quoted they quoted him saying that electric vehicles are exciting. They're definitely overall good impact for our customers and for the environment. Our customers. Keep that in mind. But it's moving too fast. It should be driven by consumer demand, and the consumer demand is not there. Now, guess for whom Mr. Lucky works? He works for Riverhead Mazda of New York. Mazda doesn't even have an electric vehicle for sale. So I'm not surprised that he doesn't believe there's consumer demand for it because there's probably no one showing up at his dealership asking for electric vehicles because they wouldn't find any. Uh, All electric vehicles, they do have now the... The X30, the X90, so something 90 that the PHEV uh, thing, but it's, uh, but it's not not an electric vehicle. The the 30 uh, is uh, is gone in the US. Uh, a weird one. The only 35 percent of dealers believe that the new point of sales tracks created for electric vehicle was going to help their business. Um, now, to be fair, most of them said that it would be how I I cannot reconcile that. Like how how's that work? How could it be negative? Uh, I may be unsure, okay, but no impact. Also, no impact. No, it's going to help you sell EVs. There's no doubt about it. Um, so only only 35. So that that measure probably told me more. That particular answer to the survey told me more about the dealership than all the others. 35% of dealership is probably the ones that are good with EVs. 35% have a good idea about EVs. The rest is just clueless. <laughs> Because I always like to say, like when we, we trash the dealers, it's not all the dealers that are bad. There's plenty of good dealers, and it sounds like about thirty five percent of them, which is which is a lot, really. There's, there's like I think there's eighteen thousand dealers in the U.S. All right, GM, GM known to be all in on electric vehicles, goes back to plug in hybrid in the U.S. So we haven't seen a GM plug in hybrid in the U.S. since the Volt was discontinued in 2019. It was a great car, very foreign car. Yep. Helped uh, transition GM into electric vehicles with the Bolt TV after that and uh, now the Ultium platform. But now the Ultium platform is not where it needs to be in terms of volume and all that. It's just not um, quite there yet. So GM, instead of making things work with BEVs, they decided to go back to PHEVs. So that's uh, that's something that uh, Mary Barra said when announcing the um, earnings uh, this week. She said, our, our forward plans include bringing our plug-in hybrid technology to select vehicles, without mentioning them, in North America. Let me be clear. Like, uh, she, she said, like, ah, this is not an actual like setback on their plans, which is obviously nonsense. Uh, and they, they, they said that... Um, uh, that it's going to be easy to do because they have PHEVs in other markets, which is true specifically in China. They do sell or still sell PHEVs. So I'm assuming a lot of the Buicks, a lot of Buicks that they sell in China have uh, PHEVs. So I would assume that they're going to use the same platform there and, and bring that to the US. But obviously, there's a step back. We know that GM kind of uh, they missed the mark on their EV plans and the, they, they, are, they are doing a little bit better in the last few months. Uh, on the but not overall, obviously, since the the bolt is going to be dead for a year or two uh, as they transition to the 
Altium Bolt. But um, it, on the pure Altium side, they are starting to do a little bit better, just nowhere near the level they need to be, especially the, they need the, the Equinox EV on high volume because that's probably going to be their biggest seller. Um, and, and everything else, the Silverado also needs to be ramped up. It's now still uh, a little bit, not much uh, volume. So all of that needs to happen. Now the real question, like, oh, you can believe Mary Barra and say that it won't change anything and they're still going all in on that. But um, I would assume that it's not a great look for those plans if they are they decide to bring the, the PHEVs in order to meet the, the standards in the US. No, and and you know, as much as I like the Volt, like I kind of feel like that type of vehicle's time is kind of winding down. Like mm-hmm. uh made sense at the time. Makes sense even right now, but like to announce that you're going to start doing that for yeah. cars coming out, you know, in years, that's, that's, that's a bad look. And, you know, like you can't really say anything good about Altium at this point. Like it's, it's an unmitigated failure. Like they've, they're late, their software is not great. Like they're, they're making bad plans. You know, w- one thing I am impressed about is like Mary Barra has somehow kept her job. Like all these things. <laughs> Like, like there's all these like really like obvious bad missteps. I mean, you know, they're profitable. So I guess that's keeps the shareholders Mm -hmm. happy, but yeah, it's their parts business. That's profitable. Like the selling parts on their shitty other cars. That's that's like, come on. Like this, just the strategy is just awful. And like the the companies they choose to invest in are awful. Like Cruise was not a, great uh, success Nicola, so far like come on guys like just so bad and like the the lack of due diligence and the lack of like you know uh not not hindsight but you know foresight like mm-hmm. they know kind of where the stuff is going like why uh like why not put more effort in you know fixing altium and like is it just like broken are you gonna bring out a new technology i, I don't know it just it's so frustrating because you know GM engineers actually build good vehicles. Like the Bolt was a great vehicle. Mm-hmm. The Volt was a great vehicle. And you know, for intents and purposes, like the the new EVs that are coming out seem to be pretty good. You know, their software decisions may not be, but like it it's frustrating because it feels like the management team is really holding GM back. So. Yeah. All right, let's jump into the the comments. All right, uh, let Eon get paid. FFS. Uh, yeah, that, that's been one of the recurring comments that I don't like. Is like, let's just give him his money. His money is due. It's like, no, no one. I don't. I have. There's some people for sure, but mostly the crazies are like, you shouldn't get any money at all. I think most people agree that he should be compensated for his work between 2018 and 2021. That's not the point. Yeah, and he did get a lot of money. Uh, just yeah. in, the, you know, his twenty percent share of the the company went way up. So it's not like he's going to be uh, in the poorhouse. All right, uh, holding long for my long term for my grandchildren, two hundred forty five shares. Elon has cost me every cent of my potential profit to this point. There's that argument. Mm-hmm. Uh, not sure if that's one hundred percent true, but uh, Jonathan Root says Elon already got paid his stock options went up by over one hundred fifty billion dollars. Not including the comp package. Um, that's true. There's a lot of money uh, he already made outside of the comp package. So 
Something to consider. Uh, I think we take a chance on the new package because this time we have the past success as a foundational example. Set more performance triggers if they are met than 2,000 stock like ARC predicts. Okay. We have Jeez. Arc. Okay. That's just – if it's someone like me. – Yeah. As soon as you, you, you're like, all right, let's just use the ARC model. I'm like, you, you lost me right there. <laughs> All right. Can Tesla, the company, be saved from the cult of Elon Musk? Can the Republican Party be saved from Trump? Rhetorical. Uh, the gross, yeah. childish behavior of Elon Musk isn't funny, Fred. Eh, it kind of is sometimes. <laughs> I definitely agree, disagree on that. <laughs> There's, uh, all right, what, what are we going to do? Are we going to cry about this? Like, we, yeah, we need to have on. some fun. What are you talking about? It's uh, not like I'm not criticizing him and I'm like just, I'm just, like just laughing in the corner. I'm criticizing it and laughing at the same time. All right, we need to distance ourselves from the cult of Tesla for its own credibility. Oh, David, I I think you have not been following us closely at all. Yeah. If, as the as the cult of Tesla, if we are in the cult and and, and believe in it, you'll 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 learn that we've been uh, what's the word uh, when when you, you excommunicated excommunicated from the cult a long time ago. Yeah. All right. Uh, the wheel covers must not have been on in Baja. Yeah, that's. Uh, yeah, I don't think you use wheel covers for off-roading. Yeah. All right, Eric Hahn asks any news on the EX30 software issues? That's Volvo. Um, I did hear something about it, but I don't. I don't know that it's being resolved. Obviously, it's a new vehicle program for Volvo, and they're trying to get that stuff out the door. Uh, the Canadian exchange rate is seventy-four point three cents. That's amazing. Yeah. That was pretty close. All right, question. 80% plus shareholder vote must delivers promised 10x value. Is it reasonable for the vote to be put again because some SHs didn't do similar due to oh, shareholders? I thought it was going to be another thing. Uh, due diligence to what Fred did. Uh, uh, I don't know what you mean by to what Fred did, but yeah, I mean, that, that's the, the point. Like, yes, shareholders should do their due diligence, but that's not what really the judge needed to look at. The judge needed to look at as Tesla and the board presented the information to the shareholder in the appropriate way. And they did not like claiming that the package was put together by independent board members and Elon's involvement in Elon and his representative, like his lawyer being involvement in the making of the package uh, was not put together. Again, Gart, if like, I, I understand where you're coming from and everything, if you if it's something that you really care about, I would suggest taking the time and reading the, the judge decision, and because uh, the judge decision include a very detailed chronological look at how the package came together. Uh, you, you can even skip the decision if you want. Skip the first part of the decision where the the judge goes into all the legalese and why she has to go this way and all that. Because um, I know a lot of people are freaking out. They say she's she's like jealous of his wealth or whatever. Like this is nonsense. <laughs> Uh, you can go into all the chronological part of it and get an actual idea of what happened and then compare that to the proxy statement. And you can read my article on this because I did I do put the proxy statement and the decision together. And you have to compare how this happened and then the board's like, shareholders, this is what happened. And it's not the same. So that's what you needed to look at. All right. Uh, will the U.S. ever get those cool Model Y colors from Giga Berlin? Texas has a new paint shop. Shouldn't really be a problem. I think yeah, the, red, the red's coming, right? Yeah, the, the red and the, and the what, uh, silver. silver. Yeah, they call it silver. Uh, Quicksilver. Uh, maybe it's not Quicksilver that happened, but the red is definitely available now. Yeah, and I think, I mean, sadly, I think Tesla's, if you want some exotic colors, uh, they, they're kind of pointing you to the, the wrap section. Yeah, the wrap section. 
All right, question. What do you think is the root problem with Ultium production delay? And is there an engineering problem that needs addressing? Don't know. Yeah, probably a mixture of everything, really. It's new. It's a new business for them. Like, uh, not, not exactly new, like the Bolt, but the Bolt was kind of... Um, LG. I think the Bolt was like run as like very like specific program, but with, with the people around it and everything. And then, uh, pro- I don't know if everyone is still on board. Uh, probably not. I'm sure there's always some turnover and everything. But then, after the Bolt, GM kind of went a lot wider with the Altium and... Uh, and it didn't go smoothly, basically. So uh, I think I think it's as simple as that. And a lot of problems can happen through that. Yep. All right. Uh, so then they better have better batteries than the current ones. Current meaning the ones used in 2019. I, I think mean, he means the Bolt probably yeah, here. The Bolt battery wasn't bad. I mean, it's 66 kilowatt hours. Does well in the winter. Yeah. But no, the no Ultium points. is different and also bigger. Yeah. <laughs> Everything is bigger with Ultium. That's true. Also, they don't charge very fast. Oh, the Volt, he's saying. Okay, it means the Volt. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, maybe. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah. Uh, all right, that was it for uh, today's episode of the Electric Podcast. I appreciate every single one of you that listened. If you did enjoy the show, you can give us a like, a thumbs up, uh, subscribe, notification button, whatever it is on your app you're watching, because we are live everywhere every Friday at 4 p.m. If you want to look us up, because uh, when we're live, you can ask questions like everybody that just did just now. And um, if you're listening on your podcast app, you can give us a five-star review. Only if you enjoy the show, obviously, but uh, it's free to do. It takes a second and helps the show a ton uh, to get it to more uh, vehicle uh, automotive fan that can learn about electric vehicles. So thanks a lot, everyone. We're going to see you same place next time.